How many of you guys are tired and a little bit worn out? Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm glad it's Elevate because if it was any other church, I might have told the pastor, hey, you know what? That's nap time. But, uh, you know, I'm glad to be here. It's always a blessing. Um, pray with me uh, as, I'm, as I'm up here. Pray for me, I, I ask for you guys. I've been fighting a migraine today, and if you've gotten migraines before, you know how joy they are. Um, you know, after uh, being in the military and suffering some injuries, um, I feel like I'm 80. feel like I'm 80. Uh, but I knew waking up this morning, all right, it's going to be one of those days. Uh, but I actually am glad. It's actually, you know, I, I've learned to look at the small blessings. The lighting in here is perfect. Um, uh, the church uh, that I went to this morning, I was like, but uh, it's just small blessings. Uh, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you, and Lord, I ask that you sustain me, and thank you for uh, this body in Christ. Every time I come to Elevate, Lord, I always feel your spirit moving. Uh, today, it feels like a humble, calming spirit, and I thank you. Lord, be with Michelle and Emerson, guide them and direct them, be with Pastor Stewart, wherever he is at, and whatever he's doing, and uh, just guide him and bless his family, and Lord, just bless everyone here. Lord, whether we are resistant to you, or we're going through hardships, uh, whether we're going through that long night, Lord, we know that you're there in your promises, and Lord, a thing I have to tell myself often is in Isaiah, you make all things new. In your name, amen. So what if I told you the Christian church is facing a mass exodus? Would you believe me? Set aside this COVID-19 thing, and it's funny to watch. Everyone's like, you know, uh, my wife's family is from Washington. Apparently now you cannot buy hand sanitizer anymore. And if you can, it's like a black market for like 100 bucks for a small thing. And I thought, man, I should have invested in hand sanitizer. Uh, or um, uh, uh, masks. I thought, man, I'm set. I got myself my NBC suit, nuclear biological chemical suit from uh, the Army. I'm just going to walk around and teach Bible class. Uh, you know, just scare everyone. But uh, set aside from that, uh, there's been something that's been shifting in not just the Adventist church, but the Christian church as a whole, and that is a mass exodus. Now, you have some uh, pastors that will say, oh, it's not that bad. Others, pastors that, you know, it's, we're wearing cardboard front and back. The world is, the church is closing. You know, uh, I'm, I tend to be, and most pastors tend to be in the middle saying, look it, we have to take this seriously. And what is causing this? Um, I feel like Reading Rainbow, and if you haven't ever watched Reading Rainbow, you should, because it's a beautiful, have you, how many of you guys have ever watched Reading Rainbow? See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, here's a book, You Lost Me. Uh, have you guys ever heard of the Barna Group? They do Pew surveys, do Christian surveys. They, they call around um, and uh, they uh, survey different denominations, will employ them to find out information. But this one is actually by the uh, President, David Kinneman, and it's a fascinating book. I have a problem. Um, I have a book problem. Um, I will just buy I buy and buy. I spend my time on Amazon or used bookstores or Books a Million or Barnes and Noble, that beautiful treasure of a store. Uh, that is my kryptonite. Um, if I were a millionaire, I would just have a library all to myself. Um, but uh, this book here um, really addresses the issue. And what he does is he takes the data and he says, look, we have a max, mass exodus. And what's interesting to me is one of the major groups that is leaving is 18 to 35 and 37-year-olds. 43%. That's in all Christian denominations, 43% are deciding 
we don't fit or we don't belong or this isn't for us. And one of the things I found out is it's interesting. There's actually two. But one of the things I found out is that it's not a lack of Bible knowledge. It's actually a lack of how to apply that Bible knowledge. That's why I was encouraged um, when I was talking to Jim about the missional Sabbath. And my kids that we brought here uh, were deeply blessed, even though I was picking up garbage and other stuff, um, is just something different on Sabbath and kind of learning how to apply that to their life. And it was interesting. We started talking about alcohol. You know, there's three things that I picked up by people's garbage. You know, I learned in the military, know your enemy by their trash. It's literally a thing. (laughs) And so I thought, hmm, lots of alcohol, lots of vaping, and lots of McDonald's. So I don't know how those three go together, but that seemed like what we were picking up. Um, and, uh, and, uh, it's just interesting because the kids started asking me about alcohol and stuff to, uh, this last week after we got back. And so, you know, y- you learn how to apply just by going out. And then all of a sudden they're like saying, Hey, uh, how do you deal with alcohol? And, you know, for them in my, especially in my upper, uh, religion classes, I share my journey being a 19, 20 year old veteran with PTSD and not, my parents did not share with me that alcoholism ran in our family and I'm at an Adventist college. And I find myself showing up to classes with alcohol in coffee in the morning. And I just found myself trying to make through the day because I, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know how to apply what I knew to my life. And uh, that leads into the message today is the second thing is they feel rejected. What if I told you that ca- God calls rejects? What if I told you that this entire book is a book about rejects? Would you believe me? This is not a book for the A students. I hate to break it to you. That's my excuse for, you know, 2.0. You know, I always laugh because even in my master's classes, I got, you know, I got my two A's, the first two classes, and then it slowly has, we went to the 2.0. But this is a book about rejects. I want you to think of a person in the Bible. They probably were a reject, either in a good way or a bad way. Today we're going to traver- traverse a couple. Uh, for one of my classes, and it got me thinking, and as I was praying on what to talk about today, is Ruth. How many of you guys know Ruth? It's four chapters, very small book, very insignificant, to be honest, but it's actually very significant. Ruth is not Jewish. She's a Moabitess. She's what you could deem the worst of the worst. And yet, God picks her to be in her lineage. What's also interesting to me is, how many of you guys know Boaz, this guy? You know, it sounds like a good, sturdy name. Solomon actually named one of the pillars in the temple Boaz after his great-great-grandfather. But Boaz was the son, according to Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy, was the son of who? Anyone? Rahab. She was a prostitute. No other way to put it. And yet... Here's someone that society would normally reject or is on the fringes and, you know, they have power or not, a lot of power, not the power you'd want. But here's someone that when the spies came to Jericho out of everyone else, they took God seriously, right? They were rejected. And they said, you know what? We're not going to reject God. And I think, to be honest, Rahab was thrown a Hail Mary. How many of you guys feel that way? When Rahab, when they came, she said, you know what, I want that power. I see what they're doing. Because those stories would have spread about the Israelites. You have two million people coming at you. I think that's going to get around. And so Rahab, a prostitute, is in the lineage of Jesus. And his mom is, is Boaz. And then we have a powerful story about Ruth. And guess what? Then Ruth and Boaz have Obed, who then has 
Jesse, who then has David. What's interesting to me is even David was a reject. David was the son of Jesse. When Samuel shows up, I almost said Solomon, but when Samuel uh, uh, shows up, we all like pass over the fact that Jesse tried to hide David. When Samuel goes, are there any more sons? What does Jesse say? Uh, well, you know, um, uh, yeah, there's this, there's a young one. He, he's out in a field somewhere doing something. You don't want him, though. You want my big strapping son. And what does Samuel say? God has called him. He didn't even see David. Did you get that? Have you ever read that? He didn't even see David. He knew God called that buckwheat scrawny of a man who's out there. Who knows what David was into? He probably was that kid that showed up with mud on his face, hadn't showered for two weeks, bare feet, holes in his pants, and he's like, all right, I'm ready for dinner. And, you know, everyone else is using their fork and knife, and here's David like, man, I'm just going to use a stick, okay? But David was a reject, right? David, I mean, big, big time. He even comes to the army, and he sees Goliath, and guess what? He gets rejected there. So we get used to rejects in the Bible. But I want to talk about one that's tucked away in the New Testament. I challenge my kids. Um, I, I love using biblical names because I'll even get kids say, that's not in the Bible. Haggai. You ever heard that book? I had a kid argue with me. That is not a book in the Bible. It's like, well, maybe you should read your Bible there, bud. But one of the books is Philemon. You can say it many different ways. Philemon, I've heard that one. That just sounds way too sophisticated. You can say it a minute. Philemon, have you guys ever read it? It's one page. I always tell kids, if you can't read something in the Bible, you want to read a whole book and a chapter in one go, really overachieve, read the book of Philemon. And what it is is this. You have a slave that runs into Paul while Paul's in Rome. We don't know how. We don't know why. I grew up on Adventures in Odyssey, and I love that little story of how Paul's going in the market, and then Philemon runs into him. And Philemon is a region. He's literally a runaway slave. So when Paul saw him, the backstory would have been this. When you're a slave, uh, you would have been taken to your master's uh, doorpost in the Roman world. They would have taken this big old nail, and they would have nailed you to the doorpost. Then they would have pinched it off, and you have that in your ear the rest of your days. And if you were freed, guess what? That came at a cost. What was that cost? They would take it out of your ear. But for the rest of your life, you, no matter what you did, you would be a free slave, but you could tell someone that was a former slave because they have a big chunk out of their ear missing. It's kind of like, you know, I'm glad I was working in my intertestamental period on my way to uh, gauges in my ears, and I'm glad I stopped and did not. Uh, because, you know, you see adults now, it's funny, you see like adults in suits and they're they're really adulting they're in offices or they have kids you know they're doing their thing and they got their ears all hanging out and you're like you know i wonder if you look in the mirror and think i shouldn't have done that i shouldn't have done that but it, you would have had that but philemon runs into paul he's a runaway slave but this is how small the world is and it's so significant this book because this book is about forgiveness and acceptance see paul is a roman citizen do you guys know that that's significant at his time Paul basically had a get-out-of-jail-free card, and Paul had influence. Paul wasn't, he even kind of touts it a little bit. He says, I was a Jew of Jews, but he also says, I'm a Roman of Romans. We don't know who Paul's uh, father was, but he must have had some, some pretty high up because he, he got some get-out-of-jail-free cards. He, he even stands in front of uh, the governor and says, you beat me, and the governor is scared of him. Okay? So Paul comes, runs into Philemon. 
Philemon, by Roman law, could have been taken out and executed right then and there. By law, right? But Paul says, no, you know what? I'm going to train him up. So we know through the letter in Philemon that Paul uses real tact. If you want some passive-aggressive, like Paul is great at this. If you ever read Paul, he's great at hugging you and slapping you at the same time. You finish Paul and you're like, did I just get beat up or hugged? I don't know what's happening here. I, you know, you guys get what I'm saying? It's always like, thank you, Paul. You hurt my feelings, but you blessed me. I, I don't know, Paul. But he's writing to Philemon, and Philemon is in, if I recall correctly, Colossae, church in Colossae. And, and he says this, my dear brother, do you remember how I saved you? through sharing the gospel, the super important, God, now I'm paraphrasing, but the super important gospel that without me sharing, you would be lost in your sins. And he goes, now I have Philemon, or Onesimus. He has been like a son to me. I know he's run away, but you owe me far more than I owe you. How about you accept this reject, free him, and we'll call it good. Man, that is tact. Because Philemon could have, imprisoned Paul, and imprisoned Onesimus right then and there. Correct? He was, by law, he was legalized. But Onesimus, who's a reject of society, ends up becoming, we know through history, becoming a significant player in the early church. Without Onesimus, a lot of the gospel after the apostles died would have disappeared. We wouldn't have church in Asia. We wouldn't have church in, in, in Macedonia and stuff without Onesimus. And a lot of people skip over the book of Philemon for that. He's one of God's biggest rejects. Now let's fast forward a few years. How many of you guys, I like that we sang Amazing Grace, because today I'm going to talk about John Newton. Not Isaac Newton, but John Newton. How many of you guys have ever heard of John Newton? Okay, He's the one that wrote, uh, uh, wrote Amazing Grace. So John Newton grew up, and uh, he was kind of a firecracker. He actually uh, deserted the British Navy and was flogged, and he was sent, if you read his story, it's phenomenal. He sent, uh, he joins a slave uh, trade, and he ends up on an island, a lemon plantation off the coast of Africa. And they treat him so bad that then he joins a slave uh, ship, and he ends up being like a first mate on this thing. And he just goes back and forth. And he actually ends up having a, a, a Christian experience. And a lot of people think that he became a Christian after he stopped working in the slave trade, but he didn't. He actually captained a ship while he was a Christian. But it started working on him this guilt and this, this crushing weight of what was taking place in this grotesque trade of human trafficking. And he finally could not come to terms with it. And so he walked away from it. And then he actually became one of its greatest proponents. I'm probably going to slaughter his name, but if I remember correctly, William Wilberforce. How would you like that one? I, I would change my name as a kid. Mr. Wilberforce? Like, that's not cool at all. You're getting picked on, hardcore. But uh, he helped uh, William Wilberforce at the end of his life uh, overturn the slave trade. Uh, John Newton was the worst of the worst. It even says that he was so bad that he was rejected from some of the toughest companies because of his mouth, because of his attitude, because of the things he was into. He even says, I was the, the most hedonistic person around. If you don't know what hedonism, that means if I can do it, I'm going to do it. If it's drinking, if it's sex, if it's anything, I want it. I'm going to chase it. I'm going to pursue it. But then we have one of the most popular and beautiful hymns ever to be written comes from this man because he realized that there is this beautiful God up there that does not see broken individuals. They see the image of God. They see rejects, but they see rejects that need 
salvation. And that leads us to Mark 2, 17, which we'll get to. But this is one of the beautiful things. And, and again, tying into the church, if John Newton were alive today, do you think he'd fit in our church? I'm not saying just elevate, but in our church. Would he be plugged in? Do you think Onesimus would plug in today? Let's go to the next uh, individual. Robert Robinson. You guys ever heard of Come Thou Fount? One of my favorite. Uh, it almost brings me to tear every time because I think of my personal experience where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I know me, if you ever since I was a kid, you leave me to my own devices, guess what's going to happen? There's a good route and then there's the Ferguson route. <laughs> I'm going to, I never understood how people, they're always like, yeah, I was faced with a choice and I just decided this wasn't good for me. I'm thinking, what if I'm broken? Because every time I'm faced with like, you know, the safe route, I take the not safe route. Even now, I find myself thinking, how the heck did I end up here? Why did I, I and I, you know you do that, like especially as adults, you replay, and you go, yeah, that's where I went wrong. And I think, but why do I keep wandering? How many of you guys are wanderers? If left to your own devices, you wander. Yep, I'm right there with you. I was written off for a long time because I wandered. I fell in love with Robert Robinson because here's the thing. He actually showed up to George Whitefield's meetings to heckle him. That's a beautiful word, heckle. He showed up to actually make fun of and disrupt the meetings. And what's interesting there is he sat there and he actually started crying and bawling his eyes out because he felt that the message was directed at him. See, here's the thing. We might think we're rejects, and we might reject God, but God is an awesome God that he always brings us to our knees. My moment was this. I'd come back from overseas. I grew up in the church, and I thought, I don't want any part of this. I was told uh, by one professor, and I might have shared this before, but I was told by one professor, a professor I looked up to, but I came back. And he had gone through the 60s and 70s, and he said, Stephen, you're an A student, but you will only get a C- minus in my classes. And if you know anything about college, you have to get more than a C- minus to pass for your degree field. So every semester, guess what I did? I took his class, and I sat there, and I kept getting a C- minus after C- minus after C- minus after C-. minus. So finally he retired, thankfully, because six years is a long time to be in college. But... It hurt because I went to the, the academic dean, and I basically was told, well, we look at your record, we look at his, rejected. And then I also got told by a prominent member in the church, oh, you're nothing more than a baby killer. How are you going to tell a 19-year-old that? I was like, what? And then through other circumstances, my friend group said, you know what, we don't want you anymore. You're, nah, you're too broken for us. It hurt. I was rejected. I was married at the time, and I got left with a sticky note that said, you are not fun anymore. I prayed about it, and Jesus said, it's okay. That's what tore me to my core. And I remember that night, I went home, and I locked myself in my apartment, and I had my fifth of vodka, and I said, you know what, God, if you reject me, I reject you. And I loaded my shotgun. Now, if you know anything about the military, we clean our, our weapon systems very well. And this is when Jesus brought me to my knees. Because I took it off safety, I loaded it up, and I kept pulling the trigger. And it would not fire. And you know what's funny? Instead of being happy, what do you think I got? Mad at God. 
I still remember yelling at God, saying, Are you serious? What now? But see, now I stand up here, and I'm still considered, I would still consider myself a reject, but I look back at the blessings and the road that God's brought me down, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I like the song we sang, Michelle, when it says, I will take you at your unfailing love. And then another line said, when the night is long. We have all probably been through that long night. Unfortunately, sometimes that long night can be extended by people in this building. Unfortunately, that long night can be caused by people that say we are Christ followers. But I also want to challenge you this. That long night can be extended because no one shows Jesus. There are plenty of people out there that do not know Jesus. They know a Jesus. They might know a God. They might know a picture, but they do not know the Jesus of the gospel. The Jesus that in Mark 2.17, which is a beautiful verse, says, you know what? I have not come to save the righteous. I have come to save who? The sinners. Jesus ate, and we dumb it down so much. Jesus sat there and ate with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with society's greatest reject, and he sat there and ate. And you may not think that's a big deal because, honestly, in our Western culture, eating together is like, eh, it's okay. Where I started to pick it up is in the Middle East. When someone invites you into their house and you eat with them, that is huge. It always threw me for a loop because these dudes would invite us over to their house and their kids are playing with us and their wives would come out and sit and recline. And that's where I actually, the Bible started making more sense because there's no tables. You eat off the floor. You know, it's very clean, but you have a rug and you recline on pillows. And then what's crazy to me is you can be in this person's house and you know that they have weapons and they intend to kill you, but because you are in their house and you are their guest and you're eating with them, you are their guest and you are their friend. What always trips me up is you almost want to walk out backwards because you know once you go through that threshold, it's about to get real. But that taught me about Jesus because what Jesus was doing, he was saying, I don't care about all you righteous folks. I want the rejects. You look at the disciples. They're all rejects. The only one that is righteous ends up turning on God. How many of you guys recognize that Judas is actually the only one that had an education? And guess what? He's the only one that cheated God. He was in charge of the money bank. And guess what it says? He was taking some for himself. And what's interesting here in Mark 2.17, and it's actually a, a whole uh, scenario in Mark 2.13-17, through 17, is God's actually being sarcastic. Christ says, he's talking to people, and he says, you all think you're righteous. Because you follow the law, you go to church, you go to the synagogue every day, you walk your particular amounts of steps, you do what you're supposed to, but you know what? You think you're righteous, but you're not. In Romans 2, Paul says, no one is righteous, not even one. And that's saying a lot for a dude that was perfect according to the law. I bet you Paul paused when he wrote those words. Because I bet you he had all the guilt in the word, world because he tried to kill all those that were actually righteous. He tried to get rid of this group that was made up of rejects. But guess what happened? Just like a forest fire, when you try and stamp it out, those embers spread and it kept going. And more and more rejects are getting together. People are sharing the Gospels. 
So I want to ask you, are you a reject? Because if you're not, then maybe you want to relook at yourself. Because I'll be honest, true Christianity, you're going to be rejected by everything that you know. The world today does not like the cross. Do you guys agree with me? The world today does not say this. Hey, you know what? I would rather you sacrifice what you have so someone else can be happy and satisfied and find salvation. No, the world today says, whatever you can do to make yourself happy, do it. In Luke uh, 9.23 says, if you want to call yourself my follower, daily pick up your cross and follow me. The world says, you know what, if you want to follow me, you've got to stamp out everyone else. You've got to get that insurance. You've got to get that, that uh, retirement. You've got to have that 401k. You've got to have a good income. You've got to support your family. And God says, no. All I want you to do is go seek the rejects. Because God says this, all of us have rejected him. Even though we were born in this millennia, we are responsible for each of those strikes and nails at Calvary. When I came across that, that's what brought me back. Is I had a professor come up to me, and he goes, you know, Stephen, it's not your job to judge. It's your job to love. So I want to encourage you with two things. That, that book that I shared with you, You Lost Me, and what the Gospels say is, number one, love. Do they smell bad? Love. Do they look like they're on alcohol or they're smoking or whatever? Love. Do they look a little ragged or scary? Love. Do they look run down and maybe they'll yell at you? Love. Maybe they're sitting in the pews right next to you. I guess these aren't pews, but chairs. You know what? Love. Because too often, the people that don't look like they need love are the ones that are empty the most. And the second one is, be intentional. I, this startled me because I'll be honest, growing up Seventh-day Adventist, yes, we always preach about going out and loving and missions to the world, but we actually have a very introspective look at times. Am I doing the right things on Sabbath? Am I eating the right things? Am I wearing the right things? Am I reading the right things? Am I watching the right things? Am I saying the right things? Do you notice the pattern? Yes, the idea is I'm doing those things to honor God, but it causes me to always look at what me instead of saying you know what is that person in need is that person hungry is that person unloved is that person struggling and am i guilty of this and especially california taught me this am i guilty of rolling up my window when you pass those people are have we all done this don't make eye contact they'll just go away or people come up to you and ask for help and you think they don't want my help that's not for us. God says, who knows? Because if we, when every time we write them off, guess who else we're writing off? We're writing off the, the author of one of the most beautiful hymns that ever describes the human experience, Amazing Grace. We're writing off, come thou founts of every uh, blessing. We're writing off Onesimus, and we are writing off Jesus. How many of you recognize Jesus was a reject? I'm okay with being in that club. Every time you get rejected, be happy. Because you're in the club of Jesus. You go up to someone and you know what? They spit in your face. Jesus says, you know what? That's okay. Wipe it off and keep loving. You know what? You may go try and do a good deed and guess what happens? You might get yelled at. You might try and help someone out and they might sue you. 
You know what? You might try and say the right things. You might try and feed the right people, and they still might use you and be ungrateful. But you know what? God was rejected, so be happy. That's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? So I want to encourage you guys. Remember, come thou fount of every blessing. Whenever you're feeling dejected or you're going through that long night, and it sounds like many of us here are going through a long night right here, remember, God has called each and every one of you. I've had powerful experiences, and even though I am young, I know that when I get on my knees at night, God hears me. I know that when I get on my knees and I'm open and honest and I say, God, I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't know why this is happening to my family. I don't know why you promised, you have said, why God is right there saying, you know what? I've got you. You may not see it, but I've got you. You might feel rejected because you had plans and God has other plans for you. But that's okay. Because guess what? God's got you. You might feel rejected when some of you are looking at colleges and, oh, I know this one. We regret to inform you. <laughs> I love that letter. My dad was like, are you getting to any college? I was like, eh, maybe. We'll see. I finally got into a college, and my dad, I thought, you know, I won the lottery. But then, you know, along with that, he goes, oh, finally I can hand you this. And he handed me my Social Security card, my checkbook, and uh, insurance. And he said, all right, see ya. I was like, oh, okay, thank you for that. But whenever you feel down and you're going, remember God's unfailing love, like that song. That'll always get you through. Remember amazing grace, because we are all unrighteous. Isaiah says, uh, our righteousness counts like filthy rags. But when I hang on to Jesus and I hug Jesus and I cling to Jesus, I may not feel it at that moment, but he is always there. I won't leave you guys with that. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for your love and mercy. And Lord, ah, you are awesome. Even though we all reject you at times in our life or we betray you, Lord, you still love us. And it's not just this cheap love that the world tries to sell and peddle on every corner and TV screen or in books and papers or whatever, Lord. It is a, a passionate and reckless love. You will come and you will knock down any door, wall, move mountains to show us love. Lord, let us go out and be a mission-minded church as Elevate already has shown, but let us find every person this week. Let's find one person in each of our lives to show you, to truly show the love of Christ, Lord. And Lord, if anyone here is harboring any pain or suffering or doubt, Lord, just we give it up to you. We give you everything. And thank you for that uh, dying on that cross so many years ago. In your name, amen.